you are. Okay. Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? And we ask it in a creepy way, sometimes. Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about horror culture, anything uh, that could involve subjects such as murder, rape, child abuse, uh, foul language, all that stuff. I'm paraphrasing this time. I've, I've done this disclaimer much better in past podcasts. But yeah, we're going to be talking about things that may be offensive. So if that is not your cup of tea, go listen to something boring. Coming up, we'll be talking to another fellow podcaster, for another member of the uh, Slumber Party Massacre podcast, Heather Powell. And after that, authors Autumn Christian, Josh Mailerman, and Sarah Langan. And a little bit after that, uh, director and producer Eduardo Sanchez. But today, we have the company of yet another member of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast. Got to collect them all, you know? Uh, <laughs> Nikki Williams. Known for her Slumber Party Massacre podcast and her YouTube channel, Foresight Channeler. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Very grateful to be here. Yes. Thank you for being here. Uh, before we get into the meat of the interview, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you're currently working on? Me. We'll be recording a new episode of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast this coming Saturday, and we'll be exploring mother films. So Ooh, that will be fun. <laughs> and like <mother>. right now, <laughs> that's gotta yeah. be on the list it's, because in the month of May, there's Mother's Day. So we'll be exploring those types of films. Right. And oh, on my channel, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure several other people had oh, the same realization as me just now. Just, oh shit, it is coming up. Yeah. <laughs> it's right around the corner. Here's the reminder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and on my channel right now, I'm channeling messages from thriller books, and that's been mm. a lot of fun. It was a, a new idea that came to me, and I'm um, really enjoying it. Mm, cool. What kind cool. of thriller books? I checked out six books from the library. The six that, I'm, that I use for this specific series are Razorblade Tears, When the Reckoning mm. Comes, My Sister the Serial Killer, The Hunting mm. Wives, My Lovely Wife, and All Her Little Secrets. Okay. All of those sound good. One of them almost sounds like a co- like a comedy. My sister, the serial killer. It is. It's a dark comedy. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like on par with serial mom. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> I was say it's either that or it was a real book and had just a goofy title, but yeah, it's, it's actually about these two Nigerian sisters who where one of them is really jealous and will kill the boyfriends of the other sister. <laughs> Huh. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, sis. <laughs> right. Book recommendation for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to our show or if Lucy told you anything about it. God damn it. I keep fucking doing that. <laughs> Lacey. <laughs> um, told you anything about the call, but uh, the way it works is we basically talk about your love of horror from childhood all the way through adulthood, trying to find out what it is that you personally love about horror. Um, that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything we ask that you don't want to answer, you just say pass and we'll move on. But starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Well, growing up, my mom and dad let me and my sister watch whatever we wanted to watch. So I have a lot nice. of memories watching horror at a very mm. young age. So my, like Cannibal Holocaust at three, you know, the usual. Uh, not that, not quite that. I actually still haven't even seen that one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, and, and I do have boundaries when it comes to horror films, but I have seen um, a high range of different genres in the horror community. Mm-hmm. And when I was four years old, my mom actually took me to go see Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 in the theater. And my, I remember my uncle was with us. And ever since then, I have always been a huge fan of Freddy Krueger. And just have a lot of fond memories of watching. I even remember watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And I would actually reenact (laughs) that movie with my Barbie dolls. (laughs) 
<laughs> it, it, it can be done. <laughs> this little girl with two Barbie dolls, like, lick my plate, you dog dick. Like, no, honey. I, I loved, <laughs> I loved the main, the main woman in that. Uh, oh yeah, stretch. Yeah, she was great. Yes, yeah, she was my favorite. <laughs> and I love the DJ setup of that film, and it's just a fun horror film. It is. All right. Anything else? Yeah, when I was very, very young. So I, I, my love of horror films does also, it's very much combined with my sister. We have very different tastes in horror, but mm-hmm. a lot of films we experienced together. So it was very nice having a sibling that enjoyed watching them too. Um, mm-hmm. But at, being very young at age four, that wasn't really an age where I remember watching them with Lacey um that kind of came a little later but um that was a big part of my childhood was sharing the horror experience with her Mm. cool so typically we try to uh delve into the emotional response because I I find that that's where you know the the clues kind of lie so you mentioned really liking the stretch and i think you mentioned dj what what did you what was your emotional connection with them it was being able to see the light in the horror films i have always had this innate ability to see the light even in the most darkest of things and like growing up there was a lot of backlash from certain people oh you like horror movies why do you like that but I mean there's a typical storyline in in a lot of the stories where someone is fighting the darkness and working to you know overcome that and I, I feel like a big part of horror films when they're done right they can also teach us a lot about ourselves um there is what is called the shadow self which I believe it was Carl Jung that did a lot of research on that topic. And mm-hmm. horror movies reflect that to us in certain ways. And I believe that is why sometimes people get triggered when they watch certain things. I am triggered and intrigued. So this shadow self, is, is that like, um, like a projection of yourself as you're watching something and you identify with the protagonist, that kind of thing? Yes. It, Not exactly. Well, well, yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. I mean, um, how it applies to films, anyway. One of the movies that does that shows this very well is um, "Us" by Jordan Peele. That movie is all about mm-hmm. the shadow self, and mm-hmm. basically, it's like all of the things about ourselves that we repress down, and we don't want the world to see those those dark parts of ourselves. But there's an element where if we can learn to control those things, much like some of the, the story that takes place in us, it can be controlled. But repressing it is what causes the dark side to come out even more, um, leads to wars in the world, leads to violence and whatnot. And it's just a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Tool song 46 and 2? Mm-mm. Oh, you got to check that out. Who, oh, who sings it? Tool. Tool. Okay. 46 yes. and 2. Mm-hmm. I'll link you to it later. It, it's, has, it's almost completely about the shadow mm-hmm. and actually got me through a very difficult time in my life. To answer Chris's question, it, basically it's like, you know, the, there's a difference between the, your conscious and your subconscious. And like she's saying, there are parts of, of each of our personalities that in certain cases could be considered negative, like, for example, being selfish. Mm-hmm. But you know, part of the, the idea that Jung had was that if you can identify these parts of yourself and learn how to implement them, not implement them, but integrate them into your consciousness Mm -hmm. so that you are doing these types of things. So you can be conscious about your activities instead of unconscious or subconscious. And it's the integration of the two parts that are, can't think of the right word, but you know, can be therapeutic to, to helping people live better lives. Because if you just go through life 
not thinking about this kind of stuff, then you can end up doing a lot of stuff, as I say, unconsciously or subconsciously and not even realizing that you're doing it, which is not always a good thing, depending on what the situation is. Yes. (laughs) Okay. What about Nightmare on Elm Street 4? That is actually one of my favorite movies in that franchise. If I had to rank them, I think my favorite would be number three, number one, and then number four. Okay. But number four, it's a fun film. It really dives into the different dream aspects that everyone has in that. It's like each dream is catered to their specific interests, so it just wasn't all just, yeah, this is a nightmare. These were like nightmares that were specifically for your nightmare yeah this is your nightmare like this is what you're like you're you're in your element here but let's add some scary things to this so i thought it was pretty original was for the one with the cockroach glue trap that was five Ah. (laughs) (laughs) love that scene (laughs) that's a pretty good one yep so did the uh idea of these personalized dream scenarios uh I guess maybe excite you or scare you or. Yeah, because I think what really drew me to Freddy Krueger is, well, let me go back a little bit here or let me go forward a little bit here. In 2009, I had a spiritual awakening. So I actually have been learning a lot about raising consciousness, integrating the shadow self. And I have very vivid dreams and I've always been drawn to films that explore the dream world. So having watched that at a very young age, that was just kind of like the catalyst into what I was going to experience later, because I do actually have some very dark dreams sometimes as well. Like they're not all love and light. Um, I I feel like I get shown in the dream world certain things to heal within myself, uh, certain things about my ancestral lineage. And just how I can go about healing these things. While we're on the topic, you had mentioned that your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street was actually number three. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to talk about that one? So the scene that's coming to mind is where Patricia Arquette, she, seeing her, she was able to control her dreams. So... I don't know if you're familiar with lucid dreaming. I have been learning a lot about that lately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we really can get to a state where we can control our dreams. And I always resonated with her so much growing up. And I I feel that that's why I love this film so much. Because she could call people into her dreams. She learned to master the dream world. And Mm -hmm. I always just respected her character so much. And I thought she was so cool was it an admiration of like the power or the skill or something like that? Or was it, um, well, because when like, like a lot of children when they're younger and like some children have, you know, have had night terrors and they have nightmares and without that knowledge of how to do that, of how to do that, it would make it more difficult and would keep, the nightmares I think recurring. I never did suffer night terrors as a child. I have had a lot of very unique nightmares though. And I actually did not know that I could actually control my dreams in a lucid state until the past year. So I think on an unconscious level, that's why Patricia Arquette and her being a female too in that film just her strength that she exudes shows what's mm-hmm. possible with dreams, even though at that point in time, I wasn't aware that I could actually control my dreams. Mm-hmm. It okay. was like a sense of hope. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned dreams a couple times in your childhood. Did you, ha- did you have any reoccurring dreams? Not in my childhood. No. Any that stick out or any, um, yeah, any, not, any like nightmares or anything? Not from childhood. Okay. Okay. We'll get to the other other ones uh, when we get to that section. Okay. Uh, Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Oh, yeah. Halloween is one of my favorite holidays ever. 
<laughs> we always would get dressed up, go trick or treating. Um, sometimes we would just have massive movie nights with the family where we would each pick a horror movie, make a bunch of food, eat candy. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of Halloween. Did you have a favorite costume? Yes. I was Miss America when I was in second grade. Mm. And my mm. grandpa actually made my crown for me. And also the uh, what the banner that they wear around sash. the sash. Yes. He made the sash and the the crown for me. So it was very special. Yeah. Nice. Uh, least favorite costume? Oh, there was one year I just attempted to do my own makeup and it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have gotten better at doing my makeup, but that was in seventh grade. And I just bought one of those makeup kits that you'd get at the Halloween store. And it, I have, there's photos somewhere, but it just was not good. <laughs> I don't even know what my joke, I, I think it was just like a, a different form of the Joker. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anything in real life terrify you as a child? Yeah, I was always scared of possession type films, even, and that's kind of went into adulthood as well just the feeling of not being in control of your own body, something taking over your body. Um, watching mm -hmm. those as a young kid, I I found that I didn't really like to watch those types of films as much. Understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. We knew that you're, you shared your love of horror with your sister, anybody else in the family uh, or friends group who are friends of friends of horror. Oh yeah. Everyone in my family loves horror. Awesome. Grandma, grandpa, my sister, my uncle, uh, mom and dad. It's just been very prevalent in our family. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. Uh, Lacey didn't, she said that you were a fan of horror, but she, at first she didn't really think or didn't say that the rest of the family was, but then she told us a story of how her grandparents like basically took her out of high school or took her out of school to go watch hostel. And we're like, that's not something that most grandparents would do. Like, yes, they did. Um, like setting aside the taking you out of school part, just grandparents going to see hostel period. Isn't that something that most grandparents would do? I, I don't think, you know, they've uh, gotten unless, back and forth on it too. They have, like, I don't think they really knew what they were getting into when they went to go see Hostel. <laughs> um, but, like, there's been times where, they, like, they even had certain copies of movies because, um, like I said before, we did grow up in a Christian household. So there's, like, always been this back and forth of, oh, we can't watch horror movies as much because that is not a Christian thing to do. But then, like, the next weekend we would be mm -hmm. sitting around watching a horror movie that just came out or was on TV. So it, it never really stuck. <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to do this, but we're going to anyway. Yes. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> um, let's see. So all of the things that you mentioned so far, how can I say this? I've got questions here about, you know, whether or not you were scared of them at the time or whether or not you were excited about them at the time. And the things that you've mentioned, at least so far, it seems like they were all things that you either were excited by or like, for example, you mentioned being able to see the light in uh, the darkness and fighting, fighting the darkness. Was there anything at, at that early age that scared you? I mean, you did mention being scared of possession films, mm -hmm. um, but other than that, was there anything else that scared you that um, you saw back then? Yeah, there was there was a movie called The Entity. And mm -hmm. my mom would not let me watch that one. I remember mm -hmm. actually sneaking out into the living room while she was watching that film. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea what that film was about at the time. I, I did attempt to read the book later, and I couldn't even get past the first chapter. And, and that's mm -hmm. a book about a woman that gets sexually assaulted by a force that she cannot see. And it was actually based on a, a true story, I believe. Hmm. And I think because of my mom not letting me watch it, it, it kind of held a certain precedence in the sense of, okay, this is something that I need to be afraid of. So hmm. then when I actually did watch it later in life, it 
was really terrifying. Mm. So your mom's fear kind of imprinted on you. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily for bad reason. Uh, Lacey brought up that that one as well. Mm-hmm. It has been a had a strong effect in our family. Mm-hmm. Not for not for bad reason. No. <laughs> um. All right. So let's jump into teenage years then. So, what were some of the scary stories or books or movies during your teenage years? You know, I don't really remember watching as dark of horror as I did when I was younger. I watched much more dark things when I was younger than I did in the in the nineties. Like my favorite was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so that was more of like mm-hmm. a horror comedy. So yeah. that was more of what I watched in the nineties. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer is up there. I I love vampire films. I love, and I do have some favorites from the eighties that like Lost Boys and Fright Night. Mm -hmm. And I actually did get to meet the cast of Fright Night at a horror convention. No shit. All of them? um, Everyone except for Amanda Burse. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. What do you love about vampire films? It's like, exploring still being human but being not and having like all this superhuman strength but at the same time not being able to eat like normal food like you can only have (laughs) blood to drink but also not being able to go into the light it was a vampire will die going into the light so they can only come out at night so that was an interesting element and just like all the the fun little quirky things that goes with being a vampire. Like they can't have garlic. They, like we just said, they can't go out in the light. They have to drink blood to stay alive, but also they're immortal. They live forever. And I always thought that that was yeah. really cool. Okay. Was there anything else that really stuck out to you during these years? Hmm. Yeah, I I always really enjoyed horror films with strong female characters. Okay. I always really was also drawn to the zombie genre. Like, there's so many different things you can do with the zombie genre. And it's like, with zombies, they're they're unconscious and they're, they're not aware of what's really going on in the world. And they're not aware of themselves. And I always found that really terrifying and I always always thought it was really scary to not have that level of control over oneself so I think that might be a theme here not being able to be in control of oneself (laughs) is a theme in my life Mm -hmm. um but I remember I I can't remember when 28 days later came out if that was when I was in high school or like right at the onset of college but I remember my mom and my stepdad at the time, they wanted to go see Bruce Almighty. And I knew there was a zombie film playing. I said, I don't want to see that. I want to go see 28 Days Later. So I went and seen it by myself. And (laughs) that movie scared me Mm -hmm. because I think it was one of the first times I've seen zombies that were actually fast instead of slow. Mm-hmm. Because like with the slow pay zombie, I feel like you could just like roundhouse kick them in the head and you'd be done. But with the the fast paced zombies, you like when a horde is after you like that, you're you got to run. You do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I just remember watching that in the theater by myself and being blown away by it, but also being scared. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that they were fast, was there anything else that scared you about that movie? Well, that film, there's controversy around that film because some say it's not a zombie film. They say it's an infection film. And there's one scene that's standing out to me right now where there's this guy and he's standing up and he he looks up and there's this drop of blood and it just drops in his eye. He didn't even get infected by any of the zombies. He got infected by the blood of one of the zombies, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. a zombie that actually took him out. And that was like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> like nowhere is safe yeah like you're kind of shit out of luck in this movie <laughs> <laughs> i'd say i would say that that puts it in the uh infection yeah uh, category I'm, I'm on that side of the uh jacob versus what's his face mm-hmm. battle. Yeah. right on so just the fact that there was another vector <laughs> that uh was a threat to you mm-hmm. all right what about uh halloween in your teenage years 
in my teenage years with Halloween, we it was it was pretty much the same. Um, kind of transitioned to handing out candy more and watching movies rather than dressing up as much. Um, it kind of got in that phase where, oh, you're a little old to be going trick or treating. So mm-hmm. um, it's a natural progression. Yeah. So just would hand out candy, watch movies. Didn't really, I don't remember really going to too many Halloween parties in, in the middle school year. Um, they, we did celebrate Halloween at school, had like candy passed out. People would bring treats and whatnot. And those were always a good time too. And those parties in elementary school were a lot of fun as well. Did you have any reoccurring dreams in your teens or did that again, not come until adults? No, the dreams started happening more as an adult. Okay. Uh, anything actually terrify you in real life as a teen? I was pretty, I kept to myself a lot. I did suffer from social anxiety growing up. So mm-hmm. movies were an escape for me. And I think the horror movies that really broadcasted social anxiety were also some that I was drawn to around that time but also seeing going back to like the strong female empowering characters in horror films mm-hmm. gave me like that hope that I could break out of that that I didn't have to like isolate myself for the rest of my life okay so some hope um, by your teenage years, had you started making friends with other people who loved horror as well, or was it still mainly a family thing? You know, it was always mainly a family thing. I found it pretty difficult to find other friends who enjoyed horror as much as I did. So it was like when we had sleepovers, yeah, they would let us watch the occasional film or um, be open to it. But for the most part, they were really girly picks like uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, all of mm. those fun 90 chick flicks back in the day. Mm. I forgot to ask this for childhood, so I guess I can ask for both childhood and uh, teenage years here. Was there anything, any of any other movies that triggered any fears in, in a real life that, you know, that stuck with you? Yeah, when... I think the the possession stuff because there I do remember having a few dreams throughout my teenage years about being possessed and not having control over my body and that usually mm-hmm. I usually wouldn't have those dreams unless I had actually watched a possession film one of which was The Exorcist and I remember watching mm-hmm. that with a high school friend we we watched it for fun um, we, I mean, we laughed at it for the most part, but there are some very sinister scenes in that film and they have a way of just kind of staying with you. Like once you watch it, you can't unwatch it. <laughs> Did you have sleep paralysis when you were a teen? Yes. Mm-hmm. It is pretty terrifying. It can be. Yeah. Um, did this fear cause you to change your behavior any, in any way? Yeah, that made me not really want to watch as much horror. There there was actually a point in my life where I didn't watch horror movies at all. I had a, a period of my life where I was going to church consistently and I was just, I vetoed horror movies from my life for a few years. Somehow that uh, that got brought back though? Yes, because I I believe you can't, repress who you really are mm-hmm. i love horror films that's a part of who i am and i'm to the place now in my life where i can handle what i'm watching i do have boundaries with what it is i'm watching if i don't like something i will shut it off but i'm not going to repress who i am based off of beliefs that no longer serve me mm. Other than the possession stuff or in the case of um, the entity, you know, potential rape scenes, do you have any other boundaries that you feel are like taboo for you? Yeah, we did a show not too long ago on the Slumber Party 
Massacre podcast, there was a movie that we had, we had viewers pick the movies for us. And one of the Mm. movies picked was Tokyo Zombie, which that film is actually, it's a horror comedy, but Mm. I shut it off about 20 minutes into it because it was poking fun at pedophilia and just the way that it was represented Mm. in the film. I didn't care for that. And I shut it off. Understandable. Uh, let's see. Any other boundaries? I don't like strong sexual violence in films. Now, that does not mean that I won't watch a film that has it, but if it really, really pushes the boundaries, like I can, it, I can respect what the artist is doing, but I also have to respect my boundaries and not consume that content. Right. Plus, it's just kind of cheap. You know, it's like doing this for shock value and then overdoing it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not a fan of films like that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, you can make a case for, you know, does the story require it? But then, you know, as she's saying, how do you approach it? And whether or not you choose to cross a line or whether or not, you know, the people doing it may not. I'm not going to say this their idea of where the line is may not be where your idea of where the line is. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So going into adult years, what were some of the, if like for top, if we were to pick the top three things that were impactful to you in your adult years, what would you pick? Oh, I am psychological horror all the way. I love <laughs> diving deep into films. I love mm-hmm. looking for metaphors, mm-hmm. mother, get out us. Uh, there was a movie I just watched recently. It it really resonated with me. Uh, it's called We Need to Do Something. And it's about yeah. these. This is where they get trapped in a bathroom, right? They get trapped in a bathroom. Yep. And the mm-hmm. father is actually an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. this movie really hit home with me because I did grow up around a lot of addiction. Mm-hmm. And... This movie, it's very metaphorical. I really enjoyed diving into it, but at the same time, it did also trigger me because I saw a lot of what I experienced through the father in this film. Like he is so over the top, but also at the same times, if someone doesn't know what it's like to live with an alcoholic, then it wouldn't make sense. Mm. For me, it made perfect sense because the way that he was in that film, obnoxious, over the top, ridiculous, that was what it was like living with an alcoholic. Draining and... Extreme. Extreme, yes. What about Mother? Mother is really brilliant in my opinion. It A lot of metaphors and layers there. Yeah. Oh, it, it has so much metaphor about religion and mm-hmm. how we how there's a lack of caring for the earth with some people and just how that, that manifests. Uh, I think there was also a lot of symbology for actual mothers, hence the name of the film mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, The acting is superb. I think another good thing they did with mother was just the um, manipulation of emotions of the, the audience too, because you have these scenes where you identify with Jennifer Lawrence's character and so many scenes where people are just being shitty to her mm-hmm. and her house and, and they're just ignoring it. Like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And there is that representation of that is supposed to be kind of like a, a, a metaphor or um, an idea of society, just using things and not caring about it. But it also, yeah, it, it, um, it plays your emotions like a musical instrument because it's like, you're going to identify with this person and everything that is done to them is going to piss you off so much that you just get really drawn in and invested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a big message of taking things for granted. Yeah. In that film. Also, they eat a baby. Spoilers. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They do at the end. <laughs> uh, what about get out? With Get Out, that was a brilliant commentary on racism. And this was a film, unlike any others, that really came out and surprised a lot of people. This movie blew me away. 
And the scene that is standing out in my mind is where I believe his name was Chris in the film. He's being hypnotized by his girlfriend's mother and she's like sinking to the floor. And it's like he gets sucked into this void mm-hmm. that and he's just it's like time has lapsed. And I feel like in a sense, it kind of reminded me of like the Matrix or or the black void of like where he wasn't in control of his own consciousness. Someone else was mm-hmm. controlling it. And I think get out was a metaphor for saying to get out of this state of consciousness, to take back control of your life because she was controlling him in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like he could control his own narratives. And us? Us is a deep dive on the shadow self. It's all about learning to control the shadow self. And what's interesting is at the beginning of the film, they show all of the, well, it showed like that commercial, I believe, about unity and uniting. So I think what the film was trying to do was saying how important it is to integrate your shadow self, to not repress the dark parts of ourself. And that is what leads to ultimate unity, which you see a lot of people holding hands because the shadow self was able to come up and express itself. But there's also a very powerful message with creativity. There's a lot of scenes where the young girl, you see her dancing. And it was like that was the light that kind of kept the shadow in check, even though they weren't still in the same vicinity of each other. So it was like her being that light in the in that area with the other shadows is what awakened the shadow. And that's why they came into the world and started wreaking havoc. Interesting phrase. I like that creativity, keeping the shadow in check. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess something that we've been kind of holding off for a little while. So what about these um, recurring dreams that you've had in your adult years? Well, the dreams that I've had, I just recently, for the very first time, this this isn't a reoccurring dream. It's, uh, I had an out-of-body experience for the first time a couple nights ago, actually. Okay. I wasn't scared, surprisingly. But what I noticed was that I could see, it, it was almost like another dimension, it, it very well could have been like a lucid dream, but it felt like I was having an out-of-body experience because I felt like this very strange spark or light. And it felt like my body was like, like my, my soul or my spirit shot up out of my body. And it was like, I was like spinning around the room and I lit, I like landed on the floor and I got up and I sat on my bed And my partner, he was laying right next to me. So I was very aware that he was there. And the next thing I knew, I could feel that there was someone in my house. Like I'm sitting, like I'm awake, but I'm not awake. I'm sitting on my bed and the door opens. And this man who I've never seen just walks into the room and he goes, you need to come downstairs and see what I did. And then he just like, shut the door and walked out. That's not creepy at all. No. (laughs) Um, So I started meditating Mm -hmm. because that's what I do to get back to mindfulness. And I was, even in the lucid state, I was, I, I was aware that that would help. But since I've had my spiritual awakening in 2019, I have had psychic abilities activated. So I can feel when there are spirits around And I had no idea there was a dark energy like that in my home. Hmm. And I was shown what he had done. And it was not good. So I really believe that we have a lot of power over dark entities such as this. So shortly after that, I, I woke up and I sat in my bed and I just... 
commanded that the dark energy leave my home because I know that we have the power to do that. Um, energies cannot stay in our home unless we give them the free will to do that. So that was an eye-opening experience that just happened. Um, I didn't, I've never had recurring dreams like that. That was the first time that I was very lucidly aware of what was going on. And like, I can, I can sense spirits around me, but that was the first time I physically seen the ones that were in my home. So that was interesting. Yeah. And probably a bit scary. Mm -hmm. it, it was unsettling. Yes. Um, I, I feel if I, if I hadn't done a lot of the inner work that I have done the past two years, I probably would have had a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> There's a saying that our brains uh, only give us what we're prepared for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I must have been prepared for that because I don't know how in the past I would have been. Well, that's the thing is if we're not, then our brains don't give it to us. Right. They just repress that until it's, you know, as we were talking earlier about, you know, repressing and integrating things like that. that if we're not ready, if our conscious isn't ready for it, then our subconscious goes, well, you're just not ready for that. And they bury it. 100%. Do you participate in Halloween as an adult now? Sometimes. I I really do enjoy going and buying costumes. I have done, I've been Marilyn Monroe. That was a lot of fun. And my makeup skills did get better. I did do, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I was I was a skeleton one year and I did my own makeup. And I did win the, the costume contest that at the Halloween party that I went to, which was for my family. Nice. So that was fun. <laughs> Uh, any least favorite costumes in your adult years? Least favorite? Probably the years where I didn't wear one and I was just lame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, checks out. Uh, anything in your adult life? Well, I was going to say anything in your adult life, uh, in real life, uh, terrify you. But I guess your out-of-body experience would qualify. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was pretty scary. Anything else? Jump to mind? Well, I think... One of the scariest things has been facing certain emotions during my healing process that I didn't want to look at. Having grown up around a lot of addiction, that did create some trauma. And when I dive deep into those emotions, that was not easy. And sometimes looking at our emotions can be scary. If you don't mind my asking, which emotions didn't you want, didn't you want to look at? I it, it was hard learning that I was codependent because when someone has been around a lot of addiction as a child, depending on the situation, there are a lot of children who become codependent in the process, and it is a survival mechanism. Because we don't have the knowledge at the time how to handle those situations. So right. then we become codependent and we take that with us into adulthood. It affects our relationships. It affects friendships. It, it was just very difficult to become self-aware about that because I didn't, I didn't want to admit that I had those traits with the people that I love the most in my life. Okay. I know what you're talking about because I've done some codependency work. I'm, I'm still curious what the emotion was that you were afraid to look at though. Probably fear and anger. Okay. Um, I've done a lot of journaling about anger. I, I was really, really angry and having suffered social anxiety growing up, I repressed a lot of what I wanted to say. I bottled up my anger inside and um, it was either I would bottle it up and then explode one day or just keep it all festered in. And I have learned a lot of tactics how to release that anger in a healthy way, which that, that anger can definitely be a huge shadow aspect of the mm. self. Mm. Yeah, it can be. It's kind of funny when I when I was going through my counseling and recovery stuff, the two emotions for me that I wasn't really allowed to express when I was a kid 
first one was anger, and then the second one was uh, joy. I was allowed to express joy as a child, but there was a certain point in my teen years where that got clamped down. But anger, my whole life, uh, I had an issue with that one. And um, when I came to this understanding, in both cases, uh, when I came to this understanding of, that I was holding back on a particular emotion, I had this very strange journey, I guess you could say. And I didn't realize what was happening at the time. It wasn't until after I had gotten past it and I could look back on it that I realized what had happened. Mm -hmm. But there were times where I felt like I was overexpressing the emotion, not because I intended to, but because I was I was going through this learning process of I, I it was like opening a door. I, I couldn't tell how much I was opening the door until I had done it, and then I'd go, "Oh, that that was a little more than I intended." So, okay, this this is how I open the door this much, or this much, or this much, and it like I say, it was about a six month learning process of how to tell how much of that emotion to let out or or not. And I first went through it with um, with joy, I think, and then with anger. And it, but it was very interesting to to be conscious of it as I was going through it, because like I'd I'd be in a particular situation, and I'd get really angry, and I'd say something or I'd do something, and I'd just go, oh, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, oh, that was a little more than I intended. Oops, got too hot. Yeah, <laughs> but as we're saying, you know, these, there's the integration of it. But also being aware of the integration of it is sort of an interesting experience in itself. Yeah. And I have to give you props for doing that inner work. It's not easy. <laughs> and no. there's um there's a I feel like there's a big program or conditioning on planet Earth where there it's like seen as a weakness to express our emotions. And that's not true. It's um, very healing. There's a lot of strength in expressing our emotions, all of them, no matter what they are, but also learning to control um, them at the same time. Hmm. You know, it's kind of funny is for me, at least, I don't feel as much pushback from adult society compared to the restriction that I got in, in the case of anger, it was from my grandmother who raised me pretty much when I was a child. And then the, um, the joy was from my stepfather mm -hmm. who was an alcoholic piece of shit that doesn't deserve me talking about him, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it overcoming my emotions and fears and all that shit regarding them was a lot more, it was a lot more difficult for me to come to terms with that than it was for me to come to terms with, how society felt about, you know, me expressing those emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I can understand that you might feel differently, but at least in my case, I, it was more difficult for me to deal with, like I said, with the the individual in my life than society society at large. No, that makes a lot of sense. I I just feel that that is a a program and a condition that is uh, very prevalent in the society, and I think it has trickled down into. Um, family life. And because growing up, there was a lot within my family as well of, oh, if you, if you cry, you're a crybaby, or don't just, just be quiet. Don't express yourself in that way. Um, so yeah. a lot of my emotions were definitely stemmed from what I experienced in my family as well. Yeah. I get what you're saying too. Like I said, there, there is an element of it at the social level too. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> The last couple questions here, there's probably about you know five or six, six five or six questions that we asked towards the end here. These go over your entire life, not just any one particular section. And it's not just about horror at this point where you now can talk about any genre. But um, the first two questions I want to give to you at the same time, because it could be the same answer for both questions or it could be two different answers. But number one, what would you say is your favorite movie? And then number two is what movie would you say you've watched more times than any other? My favorite movie is <laughs> it, it, the, the answer is probably the same for both of them. It's Fright Night. Mm. I have watched that movie more times than I can count. I love <laughs> it. I I just I love the characters. I love 
the dynamic with the vampires. I love how they look. I love the soundtrack. It's always near and dear to my heart. What do you love about the characters? Well, I always had the biggest crush on Charlie. He was my childhood crush growing up. And I actually even had an invisible friend that I named Charlie and even told my <laughs> <laughs> told my grandma, he's coming to dinner, set a plate for him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and she would actually set a plate and I'd be like, you have to put food on his plate. She goes, we're not putting any food on his plate. <laughs> Look, I went this far. I got the plate out. All right. That's good enough. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, but the the storyline is also very cool to me in the sense of charlie he has a vampire living next door to him and nobody believes him and he's trying to get everyone to believe him and that story i just thought was really cool tom mm -hmm. holland who wrote that story is amazing and i did at a horror convention like we talked about a little bit ago i did get the chance to meet all the cast except for Amanda Burse. And I have autographs on my copy of Fright Night and I cherish it forever. That is awesome. I also like the, um, what you just said about, you know, vampire next door, but no one listening to him because the part about having people not listen to you, I think can also um, be a, a common fear for kids <laughs> or, or if not fear, then at least something that you relate to strongly. Um, no, I did have an experience like that, to be honest. I, I'm pretty sure I had pretty strong psychic abilities when I was younger. I have the gift of what is called clairaudience, where I can hear messages from spirit. And when I was younger, I swore up and down that my Sesame Street curtains were talking to me. And my mother came in and I, I was telling her, I said, they're, they're, they're talking. Do you hear them? They're talking. She goes, you're crazy. No, I don't believe you. You're hallucinating. And I really feel that that was the moment where I stopped believing in the gifts that I had and repressed them mm -hmm. for many years of my life. So yeah. that's interesting that that was the same dynamic in Fright Night. I never put the two and two together. Hmm. Mm. I'm curious. What were, do you remember what the curtains were saying to you? Oh, they were just, um, they had like, they were Sesame Street characters and they were driving cars and they were, they were just like, they were playing. They were saying like vroom, vroom. And like they were racing and it was like just a very um, playful energy is what I remember. Mm. And when I told my mom, she, I don't hear anything. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because she's got parrot ears. <laughs> Uh, so you also mentioned, mentioned some sort of dynamic in Fright Night. What was the dynamic? I love the dynamic between Jerry Dandridge and Amanda Burse. Like, I thought those two together in the film was very sexy. And, like, the, the dance club scene, that is one that I always just swoon over. It, it mm. was, I don't know, I think it was like the the love triangle like you have the bad boy vampire and then you have the boy next door charlie and it's like mm. she's she's going for the 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 you know the not so safe option that she's intrigued by mm -hmm. so maybe better word instead of dynamic would be the drama probably yeah <laughs> Tension. It was almost like a guilty. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> was it, it wasn't a judgment. It was just an observation. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror that you like? Um, cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, psychological. Psychological. <laughs> psychological for sure. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Vampire, zombies. Mm -hmm. Those are my top three. Those are the ones that I seem to be drawn to the most. But I also actually do enjoy the occasional obsession film. What do you mean? The stories about stalkers. Hmm. Ooh, like the like the fanatic with with uh, John Travolta. Yeah, kinda. That that I mean that's not one of my favorite ones, but that <laughs> that's a fun one. <laughs> it's a fun what one. Do you, what do you What do you like about those kinds of movies? I like those movies because I get really curious as to why people become obsessed with other people. 
Like what what is it about one person that makes someone want to just wreak all this havoc in their life or stalk them? Like like what is it about this one person that makes them obsessed? Which kind of comes back to the psychological aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Any idea why it is that you like those things? I'm not sure why I like the obsession. It's just I've always been intrigued by it. Now, I, I guess throughout my life, there were a few guys that I dated where I found that I did have obsessive thoughts about, if if that's like me relating to these movies, but I never took it to a dark place mm-hmm. like they do in the films. So that could be why I related to it so much, perhaps. Could be. Perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, right. Where I thought you were going to go with that was, you know, we were having the conversation about conscious and subconscious and power and self-control. Although now that I'm talking that through, I'm also potentially seeing a connection with the conversation about codependency because... Mm -hmm. Well, two two reasons. One is because people in a codependent relationship, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, there's a bit of a misnomer. There's the, how the word codependency is used clinically is not the same as it is used by people in, in everyday life. Mm-hmm. I think people in everyday life hear the word codependency and they think of the weak person in an abusive relationship. And that's not really the clinical definition of the word. The clinical definition of the word, both people are codependent. The abusive person is also codependent. Mm-hmm. It's just flip sides of a coin. You've got one person who's overly dependent, one person that is overly independent. And the real goal of being healthy is to be interdependent Mm -hmm. in a healthy sense and both sides struggle with that and so if you were raised around somebody who is an abusive type you are often taught to be very in control of yourself because you never know what you're going to do to set off that person Mm -hmm. so i could see some relationship there with concerns about self-control and also power not only of your own power but potentially of an abusive person that you might be in a relationship with right and then there was another connection that i forgot now because i was too busy talking about this one um so that's kind of where i thought that was going to go but i can see where your point as well one question we often like to, like to ask then is, since we're now talking about these topics, why horror? Because couldn't you then explore some of these things in other genres? For example, I know that there are definitely other dramas uh, that touch on these kinds of things that wouldn't be considered horror. You know, they don't have the gore or the other aspects, but definitely focus on the relationship stuff. So, what is it about horror that draws you so much? Well. I think it was horror that drew me in because for a long time, I didn't have the awareness that I was codependent. So not having that awareness, I wasn't able to make the steps that I needed towards healing it. So I think the horror movies reflected to me what I was going through in various degrees and I found a sense of safety in them because I it made me feel like I wasn't alone because other people in the movies were going through similar things yeah so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times too some of the screenwriters with some of these films I feel like they do touch on personal experiences from oh, they life. absolutely write themselves into the films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it seems like that anyway. Mm-hmm. And and I feel authentically, you can feel that when you watch these films. So mm-hmm. it's like a sense of connection and being able to relate to the artist, and also relating to the film in a way that helps shed some light on one's own current situation. 
actually you said something that I think is kind of interesting, potentially in a different way, in that I was thinking about what we said a minute ago about how this these kinds of topics are often uh, brought up in dramas as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if maybe it was maybe too real in the dramas because there you don't have the horror as a distraction. It In the dramas, it is this relationship that is the horror. And maybe that was too real to be addressed in your situation, particularly if you're a child, because you don't have any power to address it. So those being too uncomfortable, maybe the next best thing was horror where the thing that you're afraid of has been abstracted, but the character's responses you could still connect to. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's comedic elements thrown in that too mm-hmm. yeah that help which kind of yeah they, they help lighten things up mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. that's a good point too i hadn't thought of that so if i were to summarize if we were to summarize i mean the the themes that have been coming up quite a bit have been you know the psychological aspects um power and control for obvious reasons that we've been talking about here a lot mm-hmm. um but for all good reasons. I mean, it, it all makes sense given, you know, what we've talked about. And it sounds like you're moving in the right direction, you know, as an adult seeking out the the shadow and trying to integrate it and come to terms with these things rather than continuing to bury it and pretend it didn't happen or doesn't exist, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's good. <laughs> I feel like uh feel like I've uh, ended on too much of a, a dark note there, but I don't mean it to be that way. I'm just struggling with words today. I don't know what it is. No, there's a lot of light in what you said that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I don't think it's something uncommon, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in this world. For sure. The good news is that there is help, help available out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always easy to find, but. You know, there are counseling and 12-step groups, and sometimes it takes you a couple, multiple sometimes efforts to find someone that you click with uh, in therapy or a group that you click with in 12-step stuff. But in my case, it took me three or four tries to find a group that I connected with and a counselor that I connected with. And I remember at one point, I was very disheartened because I was seeing a counselor for about six months, and she then had to break the news to me that she was going off and leaving this particular uh, organization and starting her own practice. But the reason that I was going to this particular practice was that they worked on a sliding scale. And at the time I was in my twenties and not making very much money at all. And, you know, needed, I needed help, but I needed to be able to afford it too. And so she wasn't going to be working on a sliding scale. And I said, well, then I can't follow you. And And then I had to sit there and think to myself about how I felt like I just wasted three or four months of my life and money, uh, you know, getting up to speed with this particular person and asking myself, do I really want to go through this again, trying to start over again with another counselor? And it took me, I don't remember how long, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two of dreading this situation when, until I remembered that the commitment that I had made to myself, I had made a promise to myself that if the experiences that I had gone through were going to be as painful as they were, that I was going to learn as much about themselves, about those experiences and myself as possible. And that was really a commitment that I had made to myself. And it didn't matter whether or not I had to pick myself up and get back on the horse a thousand times. This is what I felt I needed to do for me. And so if I needed to do this for me, then this is what I'm going to have to do no matter how many times it happens. It has nothing to do with the counselor or the, the organization. This is, this is, this is me. And so I eventually did get back on that horse. Um, But, you know, just sharing that for the benefit of anybody out there who hears this kind of stuff that, like you say, there's help out there. And there is a road to recovery. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It does have to be for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other show. Mm. 
Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah, thank you. Very honored to do this show with you both. Before I hit the closing, do you want to uh, pitch whatever it is you're currently working on? You mentioned you got the Slumber Party recording soon. Anything else? Um, Yeah, I just also have a YouTube channel called Foresight Channeler where I channel messages through movies, books, and art of any sort that I get an inspired idea for and you do that all through intuitive card reading so if that's something you're interested in check it out cool we will create a bio page for you on the horror makes us happy website and we can link to your youtube channel there or whatever else you want us to link to so they can just go there and follow the link awesome thank you thank you yes thank you and thank you to anybody out there listening please again do come visit us at horror makes us happy.com um, we've got a list of people there we'd like to interview. We've got merch. We've got uh, Patreon links. You can buy us a coffee. Or you can just tell a friend that you've heard our show. If you like what we're doing, let's, let us know. Let somebody else know. Thanks. Thanks.